Let's start it up, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to WBH Radio. I'm your host, William Holly. Thank you for tuning in to episode 104. I hope everybody is doing all right. You know, um, I'm doing well. I can't complain. Life isn't easy, but all is good. And I hope that makes sense. Like, it's, it's, not, a, it's not easy, but life is good. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people going through pain. A lot of people going through struggle. A lot of people don't know what the next move is, which way is up. Um, there are definitely many challenges in all of our lives, but, again, I'm, I'm thankful to be in this position. And I'm thankful that you're here listening. Many of you who are my actual personal friends, you know what I'm saying? I, I feel privileged to, to uh, be able to get that time from you. And, as always, going to try to do my best to give you a show. The NBA season is back, and it's always exciting when a professional league gets started. Why? Because everybody's 0-0. Everybody has a fresh start. Everybody believes they have a chance at the championship. Fan bases are excited. Hell, even the players seem to be more engaged. You know, there, there are seasons, baseball, basketball, where there's that little lull, when, when, when teams are already out of it and the players seem to be thinking one, two, three, Cancun, thinking about their vacation. But at the start, everybody's ready. Everybody wants the smoke. And I want to ask you, the audience, which NBA storyline are you most interested in? Is it Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors and seeing if they can uh, repeat? Seeing if they can overcome the Draymond Green, Jordan Poole dust-up? Is it LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers? Uh, perhaps Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. James Harden seems to be back in shape. Maybe you're just a diehard Knicks fan and you're watching them every day. Which NBA storyline are you most interested in? And if you're watching this on YouTube, I would please ask that you answer that question in the comment section. And don't forget to hit the like button and make sure you subscribe. And share this video with someone you think may appreciate it. And if you're not listening on YouTube, well, get over to YouTube and listen. For me, which storyline am I paying most attention to? That is Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers. Ladies and gentlemen, I think Kawhi Leonard is one of the most interesting stories that... I've seen in my life. For one, I believe he is the architect to two of the most impressive championship runs in my life. 2014, he was a member of the Spurs and, and they won a championship. And it wasn't just any championship. They beat the Rockstar Heatles, the LeBron James, Chris Bosh, D. Wade, Heat. And not only did Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs win, but Kawhi Leonard was named MVP, being matched up against LeBron James. I thought that was phenomenal. Fast forward, he gets traded to the Toronto Raptors, and in 2019, he leads that squad to a championship. Toronto. Right? Nobody's ever been able to do it north of the border. He was the first one to lead them. Hell, he had a teammate in uh, uh, Kyle Lowry who 
disappeared every playoffs. Like, he drugged them to the finals. A new coach in Nick Nurse. He did it. The Raptors took a chance on him to bring him up there. He didn't pout. He, he laced up his shoes and won the championship. And that run was impressive. Why? Because he defeated everybody we wanted to see him play. You remember that buzzer beater that bounced multiple times to defeat Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. He would then go on to beat Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. And in the finals, even though they were suffering from injuries, he beat Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. He ain't duck any smoke. He went through the gauntlet. He didn't get a favorable seating. He went past everybody we wanted to see him matched up with. After that, you know, the, the world is his. That summer belonged to him. Everybody's paying attention. What is he going to do as a free agent? What does he do? He seemed to be dragging the reporters and the insiders along, making them believe that he was going to team up with LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. Nope. I'm going to L.A., but I'm going to my own side of town, the Los Angeles Clippers. And somehow he managed to wrestle Paul George away from the Oklahoma City Thunder. This was fascinating. I was tuned in. You guys remember the New Balance commercial when he was driving the low rider and he had the, the crown keychain on his keys, insinuating that I, I'm the king of L.A.? And unfortunately, over the years, he's battled injuries. Uh, I was looking today at the stats. In that bubble season, they, they, they suffered a tough loss to the Denver Nuggets in seven games. But in all honesty, I've never really seen Kawhi Leonard fold or underperform and not deliver. So I'm looking forward to that storyline playing out. Hopefully we can see a full season of Kawhi. We've seen him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with LeBron and be victorious. We've seen him drag a team in the Toronto Raptors that doesn't have a, a championship pedigree. We've seen him take them to the mountaintop. Like, I still wonder, like, who is this guy and what is he really capable of? I'm interested to get into the bottom of that. Hell, you go back to 2017 when he was a member of the San Antonio Spurs. This was after they had won that championship against the Heat. In fact, this is after Tim Duncan had retired. And the franchise was now in Kawhi's hand. And he was paired up with the likes of LaMarcus Aldridge. And we were like, yo, Kawhi, what do you have? Let's see what you got now that you're the man. Well, he was in the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors. Up 25 points in game one in Golden State. You could hear a pin drop in that place. He was serving them. And that was a healthy squad. That was Steph Curry, that was Klay Thompson, that was Draymond Green, and that was Kevin Durant. He had the Spurs in that building up 25. But unfortunately, he landed on uh, one of the defenders' uh, feet, and he was out for the rest of those playoffs. And the Golden State Warriors would go on to win and stuff. But, but again, it's always been like kind of unfulfilled. Every time you think he's about to take off, it's been an injury. I find this guy so fascinating. And that is really what I'm paying attention to when it comes to this NBA season. When I jump in my little phone and I look at my NBA app, I want to see what the Clippers are doing.
the first game of the season, they brought him off the bench. I guess they being uh, cautious because of his injury history. I want to see. John Wall is over there now. John Wall, who's, I guess, sat out the last year or so, unhappy in Houston. He's back, seems to be reinvigorated, a man on a mission. I think Teron Lue, the coach of the Clippers, is the best in the league. You guys know how I feel about coaches in the league. It's about leadership. It's about getting men to buy in. It's not X's and O's. And Teron Lue was able to manage the LeBron James melodrama in, in Cleveland. Hell, he it almost cost him his uh I mean it cost him his health. He had to take a sabbatical, a step away from the game for a while, but I, I think he's back. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, he's been able to keep that Clippers franchise afloat during the absence of Kawhi. Kind of juggling the ego of Paul George. You know, Paul George had his struggles in the bubble. He's missing his family or so. Uh but he's gotten him to play well. And again, I'm just looking to that Los Angeles Clippers uh, led by Kawhi Leonard. I'm looking for some level of finality with that story. Because Kawhi has always leave me like wanting more. Like, yo, damn, he, uh, he twisted his ankle. He was, he was on a rampage. He was on his way. You know, similar with uh, Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. Michael Jordan said, yo, that Bulls team never had a chance to be dethroned. It was because of contract issues and, uh, like, I retired, Phil went his way, Pip went his way. Like, we never went face-to-face with somebody that could take it from us. And I think every time I've seen Kawhi healthy, he was the best. So he's going to either end up the best or I want to see somebody take the crown from him and I no longer have that uh, that thought in my head like, man, what could have been? No, we actually see it play out. He got dethroned. So that's what I'm paying attention to. The New York Knicks, go New York, go New York, go. They opened the season October 19th in Memphis against the Grizzlies. This is a game I actually tuned into towards the end, and it was pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, there was a play late in the game. Uh, Jalen Brunson going to the paint. Kicks it to the wing. Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish buries a three late in the game. Ties it. Goes in overtime. And over time, the, the Grizzlies would uh, eventually pull it off. And then the next day, I went to work, and I was asking one of my friends, I'm like, yo, what what happened, man? What what did you think about the, that game? He said to me, well, the difference in the game was the 2019 draft class. The Knicks draft pick, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish, who was actually drafted by the Hawks but is now a Knick because of a trade, they are not better than the Memphis Grizzlies 2019 pick, which is superstar John ja Morant. And I thought, man, you're right. John ja Morant had 34 points in that contest. R.J. Barrett, just 11. And Cam Reddish with 22. Their guy is a superstar. The New York Knicks guys are not. And also late in that game, Jalen Brunson, the New York Knicks, uh, uh, I guess, 
star offseason acquisition. He's a good player. He's tough. He's formidable. But when, when matched up against John Morant, it's, it's not equal. And I'm just sitting back thinking about my history watching the Knicks. Why does it always seem that we are paying top dollar for guys that are not worth top money? R.J. Barrett and Brunson both signed $100 million contracts this offseason. Now, who knows? I'm not really paying attention to uh, salary caps and stuff. Maybe that's the going rate for that talent. But just as a casual observer, it seems like, dang, everybody else gets a superstar, and we got to overpay for guys that are just, okay. Do I think Brunson could be a championship piece? Of course, but he ain't the guy. He was cool in Dallas, paired with Luka. Or, or playing filling minutes for Luca, he ain't the everyday guy. It's like the NBA plays musical cheers and all the other teams get a superstar and we stuck with the leftover that's standing and end up overpaying for them. That's the thought that just ran through my mind. The NBA is about star players. It's about my guy being better than yours. It's not about deception or superior uh, 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 tactics. The NBA pro game, free-flowing, no zone defense, no uh, presses and traps. It's just mano y mano, basically. When it comes down to, uh, 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 I guess, the end of it, is my guy better than yours? That's NBA basketball. And the Knicks... Haven't won that contest, and it seemed like they haven't won that contest in a long since Patrick Ewing. And hell, some would argue that he wasn't even better than most. He wasn't better than Olajuwon or Shaquille O'Neal. So why do the Knicks always end up in that predicament? I, I I just wonder. I just wonder. But still, in all, the Knicks are a tough team. The Knicks are going to be a fun team, a team worth watching, a team worth cheering for. But on that opening night, you can see their ceiling, and it ain't that high. <sighs> opening night, the Brooklyn Nets were at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. They fell short 130 to 108. A couple things about the Nets. Leading up to the game, uh, the reporters asked KD about the team and where they currently at, and KD said, who knows? <laughs> I mean, he said a lot more. He said, you know what? Things seem to be going well, but who knows? Only time will tell. And I think that's bad, <laughs> especially coming from your best player, your most talented player. He don't know where this squad may end up. And with the offseason they had, KD demanding a trade, KD calling for the firing of his head coach and his general manager, uh, Kyrie seeming to be in flux the whole time. They need a chemistry set. They need a leader. They need somebody to get everyone refocused and uh, dialed in on the mission. I did a podcast with my professor, Dr. Brian Johnston. We talked for two hours about leadership and how valuable we think it is. This squad is missing that. 
Ben Simmons has, has been a disaster the first couple of games, falling out, scoring in single digits. Like, who's going to pull that team together? Talent is not enough. We've seen that many a times, many examples in sport. Talent is not enough. You need a unit that's unified. And if your best player is saying, uh-huh, and your best player, Kevin Durant, has a history of kind of just wanting to play basketball and not taking up the responsibility of being that leader, that shepherd. They're in trouble. So outside of Kawhi Leonard, I'm looking forward to seeing the Brooklyn Nets and what I believe is going to be a disaster. A talented disaster, but a disaster nonetheless. But I want to talk about the Pelicans. The Pelicans look very good that night. Very good. Uh, you got Zion. You got Brandon Ingram. You got C.J. McCollum. A lot of offense. You know, uh, there's youth there. Teams like that usually perform well in a regular season. You know, the, the, the young guys, they looking to make a name for themselves in the league. They're uh, still a little bit green, like they're going after individual awards. They're not just all hell bent on championship or bus. They're still at the part where they're enjoying the journey. You know, LeBron James and KD wish they could fast forward to the finals. Not these young people. They're still uh, uh, on the upswing, still kind of enjoying every step of the NBA process. Or at least that's what I believe. But I want to ask you guys specifically about Zion Williamson. How do we feel about him? Now, a word we usually hear associated with him is beast. A beast. You know, because of his electrifying plays, you definitely likely to catch him on ESPN's Top 10 or a TikTok video or YouTube short. Or Instagram reel, you know, all of that power just soaring through the air, slam dunking it. Uh, and kudos to him because he seemed to have slimmed down, which people have been calling for for years. I'm always amazed. They want to give him credit for looking good. But when we was calling him out back then, they would get all defensive. Oh, what do you mean? His weight is just fine. But when he comes in a little more trimmed down, they welcome the, the applause. Both can be true. He was a fat boy back then, all right? But anyway, he, he looks good. But I would hold off on the word beast because to me, a beast, again, this is my, this is my standard for superstars. This is my standard for beast. This is my standard for killer. Late in the game, coming out of a timeout, when everybody in the gym knows you're getting the ball, yet they can't stop you. The nine players on the court with you, the 20,000 fans in attendance, the broadcaster, the fans at home. Everybody know the ball is coming your way and they still can't do anything about you. That is what a superstar is to me. And I want to ask you, the audience, coming out of a timeout, where do you get Zion the ball? And what move is he going to do? You see, coming out of a timeout, you give MJ the ball. He's going to the block. MJ, MJ, fadeaway, perfect. We know what's coming. 
nothing you could do. Kobe Bean Bryant is going to hit you with superior footwork. Nothing you could do. Coming out of a timeout, Tim Duncan is going to back you down or he might face you up and hit the off-the-window bank shot. Nothing you can do. With Zion, I don't know if that question is answered. And for me, that's why I've kind of tempered my excitement about him. Because there are players who have had that identity crisis in the past. When Kobe and Shaq were rolling, I never cheered for them. They weren't on my team. I cheered for Scottie Pippen and the Portland Trailblazers. I cheered for Mike Bibby, Peja Stojakovic, Vladi Divac, and Chris Webber of the Sacramento Kings. And when the games got close, what was Chris Webber going to get you? An elbow jump shot? He didn't really occupy space on the floor. He didn't really have a a superior skill set in, in one area. And I feel Zion has the same identity crisis. You know, you look at the stats over the course of the game. Oh, he had 22 points. Okay, that's an offensive putback there. That's a fast break there. 20 points is only five points a quarter. You, you can accumulate that, right? Oh, yeah, 20. But can you deliver on demand? And I'm not quite sure he could do that yet. He's powerful, he's strong, he, but playoff basketball, when it slows down and teams are gunning for you, teams are planning for you, where do you go? What can you do? And I'm not sure that question has been answered yet. So he's a cool player, but I, I don't know. And you know, some other players who I felt had that identity crisis, Kevin, Kevin Garnett, now, he was a cool player over the course of a 48-minute game, but when it was time to deliver on the demand, that's why Tim Duncan would always get the best of him. Everybody know we coming down, we dumping into Tim, we getting two points. Where we going with KG? Elbow jump shots? I don't know, man. And they talk about Zion being uh, Charles Barkley. Not yet. Not yet. Charles Barkley was a force on the glass. Charles Barkley go get you a basket on demand. You know, uh, early in his career was the post. You know, face up a dude, one dribble, uh, power monster dunk. Zion's not there yet. And he's not there on the rebounding end. And, and, and that's a big problem. I went to check out Zion's stats. His first three years in the NBA, 6.3 rebounds, 7.2 rebounds. And currently in this season, after a couple games, he's averaging 6.7 rebounds. Charles Barkley's first three years, he averaged 8.6 in his rookie year. Next year was 12.8, and the year after that was 14.6. Difference. Different players, different impacts. So be careful with the word beast. And Zion's kind of paltry rebounding numbers is really bad in this day and age because Charles Barkley was playing against seven-footers. Moses Malone was his teammate, uh, uh, David Robinson, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewings. These guys clogged the paint. So for Charles Barkley going in and get rebounds is truly impressive. That player no longer exists in the NBA. The game is free-flowing. It's open. People shooting all type of threes, rebounds coming off the rim left and right. There's, there's probably more rebounding opportunities. And for Zion to be at six and seven, that's cute. But that's not dominant. That's not impactful. 
So he'll be king of the Instagram reel. But I'm not sure how much of a stamp he's going to put on this league. Ah, that's my two cents. Uh, what else I got over here? What else we got here? My man Fenton was supposed to join me. But uh, again, it's hard to put the schedule together. He living in Jersey. He get into that bag. And y'all know me. I like to do my own thing. So I don't really like waiting. But as with him and all of my friends, they send me uh, things to watch, things to talk about. And Fenton recommended that I watch the Redeem Team documentary, which is about the 2008 U.S. men's Olympic basketball team that won gold. Uh, I haven't watched it. I don't really plan on watching it. You know, I am a scholar. <laughs> I'm not with the Hollywood productions. I'd much rather read a book. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I'm sure I will get to it eventually, but it, it, it's not on my to-do list. And one of the reasons I have an issue or I'm not in a rush to see this documentary is because I've had a problem with the story and the account and the narrative around this 2008 Olympic gold medalist basketball team. They have been elevated as the saviors, as a team of a, a bunch of Captain Americas here in the Save the Country after that 2004 embarrassment when the Olympic squad won bronze. The first time America had not won a gold medal after sending uh, professional players. It was embarrassing. And 2008 was kind of celebrated and known as the Redeem Team. Redemption, right? Putting America back on top where it belongs. But my problem with this is... Members of this gold medalist team were on that bronze team also. They were part of the problem. You don't get to be a conquering hero when you were the failure. Which members am I talking about? D-Wade, Carmelo Anthony, and of course the great LeBron James. Carlos Boozer was on both teams too. You don't get to fly high and come home to a, 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 a hero's welcome when you were the, the cause of the embarrassment also. I feel like the, the media and the world has allowed them to skate on that part. Yo, dog, Bron, you was a part of that embarrassment, bro. Somebody commented in my uh, my YouTube channel today, and they called him LeBron's. Man, I thought that was the funniest thing. I, I, comment, I said, yo, bro, I'm bringing that to air. LeBron's for Bron meddling. So you don't now get to turn and be the hero in 2008. So I've, I've always stayed away from that story because of that. They never really bring up, yo, D-Wade, Melo, and Bron were part of the failure. Y'all had to go get Kobe to rescue y'all in 2008. Now, 
the LeBron zealots and supporters and apologists, they will say, well, in 2004, LeBron James was young. The 2004 Olympics, when they won a bronze medal, LeBron James had played a full NBA season. Okay? That means for a year, he got up every day as a professional. He trained like a professional. He practiced like a professional. He competed against other professionals. He had professional diet. That's a big deal. Right? And this whole redeem team story to me just puts another feather in Michael Jordan's cap. And when people compare Michael and LeBron, I can't believe that they leave this part of the argument out. Nineteen eighty eight Olympics, America lost. And that's when changes were made. They said, yo, listen, listen, man, we 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 gotta send the pros. We we can't have America getting embarrassed. And that's when you saw nineteen ninety two dream team with all of those pros. Some of the, the best basketball players ever, probably the greatest team assembled ever. Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone. John Stockton, Chris Mullen, right? That team won gold, of course, blowing people out. But I want to go back to 1984. And let me start by asking you, have you ever seen footage of Michael Jordan walking across the draft stage and shaking David Stern's hand after being drafted? No. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. Michael Jordan did not attend his draft. In 1984, he was trying out for the Olympic team. The night he was drafted, he was in the gym trying out for the Olympic team that year. So, 1984, Michael Jordan finished his college career, entered the NBA draft. They drafted him, but he chose to play Olympic basketball. And this is still when... You had to be an amateur to compete. So Jordan was eligible because he didn't play a pro season yet. And Michael Le Jordan led that group of amateurs to the gold medal. It is the last American team that featured amateur ball players to win a gold medal. 1984. Because again, in 1988, they failed. And then 1992 was the dream team. So people give LeBron James a pass because in 2004, they say, oh, he was young. That's why they won bronze. But again, I highlight LeBron James had played a full NBA season. He was the NBA rookie of the year. He got up every day and trained like a pro. He played against pros. He ate like a pro. Meanwhile, in 1984, Michael Jordan skipped his own draft and led the American team to a gold medal before he ever played an NBA game, before he ever had an NBA workout, before he ever had an NBA lifestyle that comes equipped with money, good eating, good training. He was essentially a college kid. 
and he led a team of amateurs to the gold medal, the last amateur team to do so. And he was the leading scorer at 17.1 points a game. So you want to give LeBron James a pass for being young, despite the fact that he was playing with NBA players. He had Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, Carmelo, Tim Duncan, and he came home with a bronze. Meanwhile, Jordan took a team of kids. Now nah, that ki- that team of kids, I think Patrick Ewing was on that team, but they were still amateurs. And they went around the globe and got the gold medal. So I don't need to see a redeemed team app or documentary. You don't get to be a conquering hero when you were the source of the embarrassment in 2004. You were the choke artist. I can't believe this argument is not made. That's another feather in Michael Jordan's cap. 1984 versus 2004. Mike skipped his own draft. I'm going to the Olympic trials. I'm going to lead this team of amateurs to the gold. This is my shot to get a gold medal. Because, again, at that time, only amateurs could could compete. So Mike was saying, damn, I'm about to go in the NBA. This is my last shot. Let me go get that gold. And he willed his team to victory, leading them in scoring. No NBA players on his team, just kids. Eventual NBA players, but not at that moment. LeBron James played with pros. And they came home with the bronze. Hashtag LeBrons. <laughs> so that Redeem Team app, I keep saying app, what is that? Le- Redeem Team documentary. Can wait! One thing that has been pissing me off about the NBA season, and actually it's been the last couple of years, Ladies and gentlemen, how many people walk in a room and ask, how can I make this place better? How can I add value? How can I contribute? How many people do you know like that in your life? There's not many. Most people want something for nothing. Most people are trying to get by by doing the least. NBA season 2020, the world was in flux. We hit with a a, a global pandemic. People not knowing which way is up, what's safe, what's healthy. The NBA decides to uh, have a season. They have a a, a bubble at at Disney World. Everybody's secluded. It's supposed to be the safest thing for the players. And the participants, coaches, uh, trainers, everybody, cool. During that time, I guess the coaches are like, yo, ain't no fans here. Like, uh, I'm not putting on a suit. Cool. Well, fast forward to present day. Stadiums are at full capacity. We're traveling. We on the road. You're doing media interviews. Why have NBA coaches not put their suits back on? Because just like most people in life, they want something for nothing. And I'm 
very disappointed by this. This this just I guess current state of humanity. Nobody wants to do the work. Nobody wants to hold up their end. Okay, cool in the bubble you had your little dry fit half quarter zip, but you back at the show. Play the part. Do your part. You want your check to remain the same. You want your your power to remain intact, but you don't want to dress the part. I remember Mike Wilbon told a story on uh, uh, a part of the interruption. He said like he was kind of mocking Craig Sager. Rest in peace, Craig Sager, sideline reporter for TNT Sports. Like, yo, why is he dressing in these dopey suits? And Big John Thompson, former coach at Georgetown, so, yo, Mike, what are you talking about? Craig Sager's part of the show. Leave him alone. And I thought about it. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, Thursday night TNT, we want to see our doubleheaders. We want to hear Shaq and Kenny in the studio. But, yo, let's, let's see what Craig Sager's wearing, too. It's part of the show. Craig Sager was adding his contribution. These NBA coaches, they don't want to do that. I go back to my days watching the early Knicks. It was Patrick Ewing. It was John Starks. It was their grueling, bruising defense, uh, beating up Michael Jordan. But what else was it? It was the Armani Don, Pat Riley, GQ suits, hair slicked back. It was part of the show. Today's NBA coach wants something for nothing. You think if the NBA went to them and said, okay, you guys are not wearing suits anymore. Give us back some of your paycheck. They're like, oh, no. Everybody wants something or nothing. And I'm just telling you, don't be that person. Nobody likes that person. It's so disappointing, son. Like, bro, your job is to coach basketball and scribble on a, a board. Put the suit on, man. Take us to a, take this presentation to another level. We got out of shape guys in fucking dry fit, tight fit, and quarter zips. Yo, bro, put the suit on. Be a pro like you demand of the players. <sighs> That's my little rant on the suits. I just hate when people just want to get by and they don't want to contribute. They don't want to add value. But they don't want to relinquish any of their privilege either. It, it's, it's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a job to do when you walk in a room. Speaking of which, I don't know if you, you guys know, but I've been working as a substitute teacher at George Wingate High School. It's been cool, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I was afforded that opportunity because I was in the building working as an assistant basketball coach and the assistant principal seeing me moving around and said, yo, Holly, got some work for you. It's been pretty cool. You know, making money is always a good thing. I'm in an environment I, 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 I'm cool with, working with the kids that I, I coach, working with my former teammate who was our head coach. Like, it's a cool environment. I can't complain. Except... When you don't pay me. <laughs> and for some reason, it's not, it wasn't even the school's fault. I guess it's the DOE. I was supposed to get a paycheck and I didn't get it. Speaking of pet peeves, ladies and gentlemen, that's one of my biggest playing with my money. And I used to get in trouble in the military because of this. 
Like, as a lower enlisted soldier, it's my job to do the grunt work, clean up the garbage, and this and that. Cool. But when it's time for me to get paid and I don't get my check and you guys just tell me, maybe next month or you don't have definitive answers for me, I'm pissed. Because I did my part, it's time for you to do your part. So when that happened, I said, yo, F it, man. I'm not doing any more days until my check is rectified. I still need some money, though, right? And at this time of the year, I start getting notifications via email and mail that it's time for me to renew my taxi and limousine license because it expires every December. Now, I haven't driven limos in four years. My last time was 2018. I haven't driven limos in four years, but but I've always kept it uh, up to date. So... The notifications this year just start happened to coincide with me being upset with the DOE. So I said, yo, you know what? I'm going to drive. And not only am I going to drive because it's a, it's a lucrative opportunity, but if you know my story, I had the honor of working with the Yankees in 2017. Why? Because of a relationship I had from driving. And that Yankee opportunity led to what? Amber Judge on a podcast. Ultimately, Skip Bayless on the podcast. So I said, you know what? Not only am I going to drive because there's money involved, but this is going to put me back in the game. This is going to put me back in rooms that I couldn't get into otherwise. And we never know what opportunities can come of that. So I said, I'm going to do it. I called my man up. I said, yo, dog, I'm looking to drive. He said, all right, Will. He said, I got an event for you this week. So said, all right, cool. When you get the job ticket, it can be very detailed. You picking up Joe Smith, you taking him here, you taking him there. Other times, it's not much. And this time, it wasn't much. It just says, pick up location, and we're going to be running shuttles. So basically, you're going to be taking people from the hotel to the location, from the location back to the hotel. You just run a shuttle service. So I didn't have a name of any specific guest. So I show up for the event. I don't know who it is, what it is, whatever. So I show up to the event. They start to put people in my car. Like, ladies all dolled up and stuff, you know what I'm saying? And I'm taking them to Jacob Javis Center. And then I get a placard that says it's, it's BravoCon. I'm like, yo, what is this? So, I'm, again, I'm just shuttling back, people back and forth. I'm, I'm hearing little things, conversations. I guess it's the Bravo Network. They had like a convention. So all of their shows and different things. It's real housewives. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like you could imagine on TV, it's like they complaining about rich people's stuff. Like, oh my God, my hair, my dress. Honey, you hate this. Oh my God, I hate her. Like, it's it's real stuff. So I'm just sitting there being a fly on the wall like I'm supposed to. I'm like, yo, son, I, I, it's been a long time since I, dro- I drove. And to be back in this environment, like... This stuff I kind of find annoying and rich people complaining. But I was cool. I was professional. I did what I was supposed to do. Especially now that I got knowledge of self after reading the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and all that stuff. Like I, I kind of had zero tolerance for all that. But I, I was cool, man. I'm, I'm, back in the, I'm back in the show. So I'm making my rounds. I go back to the hotel. And the people are like kind of congregating outside of my car. I can, I can see the next person they're about to put in my car. It's a black woman. And she looked familiar, yo, but I can't, 
place her name. I'm like, yo, it's it's Real Housewives. I who knows? Like my sister watches the show. Maybe I walked by her television one time and I seen this lady. But I just remember thinking, like, wow, she looks familiar. She gets in the car with a friend of hers and a lady that I kind of pick up and think is her mother. And the mother is speaking with a Jamaican accent. Now, this is a, a, a revelation in itself because I am a Yankee. I can't really differentiate accents. I, like, I, my man DA's from Dominica. I can't tell him from Fenton's family from Trinidad. I can't tell a difference. But that day, I said, oh, that's Jamaican. Yeah, for sure. I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah. If something she must have said, yeah, yeah, that's Jamaican. So they talking, they doing anything. I, I can't pick up the lady's name. So when they get out the car, what do you think I did? <laughs> I Googled Real Housewives Jamaica. <laughs> now, I didn't think they had a Jamaican season. I just said, there's a, there's a housewife of Jamaican descent. And what pops up? Who was it? It was Sonia Richards Ross. Now, if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, it was very familiar to me because she is an Olympic gold medalist. She is of Jamaican descent, but she ran for America. In fact, in 2012, she won the gold medal in the 400 meter and she would win gold and for the relay team also. And I thought to myself, wow. Here I am, my first time driving in four years and I'm in the vicinity of an Olympic gold medalist. Wow. That's great. You know what I'm saying? Just like I wanted and, and was hoping for, I'm back in the game just like that. Very first event out the gate. You know, and it just reminded me of a, a, a saying that I've heard, uh, and it goes, luck is the residue of design. And that saying is credited to a man by the name of Branch Rickey, who was the general manager of the Dodgers way back in the day. He was the guy that that broke the color barrier, signing Jackie Robinson to the, the Dodgers. You know, and I just wanted to share that story because a lot of people think that, like, Yo, well, you be lucky, son. You be in, to be in this room and that room, but luck is the the residue of design. It's it's what's left over after you kind of worked hard and 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 planned a little bit. And Branch Rickey, uh, his full quote, quote: "Things worthwhile generally don't just happen. Luck is a fact, but should not be a factor. Good luck is what is left over after intelligence and effort have combined at their best." End quote. Like, yo, bro, like, just think of all the steps that had to go in place. For the last four years, I've been paying hundreds of dollars to keep my TLC license intact. That ain't luck. I always looked at that line, line, uh, license and I considered letting it expire. But I thought, you know what? You never know when you might need this. I kept that relationship with my friend who runs the limo company. I would always water that friendship. Check in. Yo, bro, you good? I, I would drive for him at times when I didn't want to because, again, he makes money when I drive. So way back in the day when I was close to being done, I still hung on a little bit. So, yo, bro, I'm going to help you get some, some, some chips. 
know what I'm saying? Before I step out and do some other stuff, do some coaching and things like so many different moving parts. And I just wanted to share that with y'all. Like it ain't always or luck the way you seem like, son, it, it be a little work there too. It be a little sacrifice. I spent hundreds of dollars on my license over the years and never got any kickback. But I always knew that, you know, that could be something. And any any situation you you found me in or is favorable, it's because of some hard work. You know, just think of my, my opportunity at George Wingate. Why is that? Because my young teammate, he was younger than me. He didn't get to play the minutes that he wanted to play. But I showed him respect, too. He was young. Like, most people, he was sitting on the end of the bench. Most people don't even pay attention to them, folks. I, I saluted everybody that was in my practice working hard. You think of my opportunity at Brooklyn College. Why is that? Because every, after every game, I walked down that handshake line, looked those people in the face, and said, good game. Because I was working in Brooklyn doing the radio on a volunteer basis. That's how those opportunities come about. So it ain't luck, per se. So if I could just offer two little words of advice or something that could hopefully help somebody in their day. Good luck is what is left over after intelligence and effort have combined at their best. That's it, man. That's it. What did you guys think of my new segment this week in White Supremacy that I debuted last week? What would you think? <laughs> it's a little crazy, huh? But, you know, I, again, I just wanted to, 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 to showcase and, and pull examples from sport where I believe the system is systeming, taking care of the people it's intended to take care of, and keeping the people down that it's intended to keep down. And I believe I got another example here. Last week, my beloved Yankees lost to the Houston Astros in the American League Championship Series. It was tough. Yep, my Yankees lost. You know, the Houston Astros seemed to be their uh, kryptonite. Let me go back to 2017 when I worked with the uh, organization. Uh, one of my fondest sporting memories, one of my fondest memories with, with them, of course, was when I got to fly out to Houston and watch them play game seven of the American League Championship Series. It was phenomenal. You know, people would have gave an arm and a leg to be in that building. And here I was with the Yankees, with their traveling staff, uh, watching them play the biggest game of their 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 season. And not only was I there, but my brother, my childhood friend, Mr. Fenton Tania, was right by my side. It was a dream come true for us, man. We were some Yankee kids, some New York kids, and now to be in the building, it was phenomenal. Unfortunately, the Yankees lost that day. That was the end of the season, end of my time with the Yanks, but again, fond memories nonetheless. It would come out years later that the Houston Astros were accused and ultimately found guilty of cheating during that season. Sign stealing. Some of the things they were accused of, they would have video cameras in center field and they, they would uh, watch the Yankee catcher give signs to the pitcher and they would use that information to tip off the Houston Astros batters. Uh, 
basically alerting them to uh, which pitch was coming. And if you're a professional hitter and you know which pitch is coming, your chances of success are increased. So the Astros were accused and ultimately punished for this crime. Their punishment included uh, suspending their manager for a year. He would ultimately be fired. Uh, 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 suspending their general manager. The Houston Astros were fined $5 million, the maximum allowable fine the, the MLB could levy. They lost first and second round draft picks. This was a big deal. Their brand was in the dumps, dragged through the mud, disgraced. Even players spoke out against this. And current players don't usually speak out against other players. But even Aaron Judge was like, yo, dog, they might have robbed us of a chance to go to the World Series. This is a big deal. You think of what a World Series could have done for Aaron Judge's career and legacy, uh, what it means when you got people gambling on sports, how much money changed hands or didn't change hands. This was a big deal, and the Astros were punished for it. Now, let me ask you, if you are the owner of the Astros and your brand is being tarnished, what do you do? You go find an individual that has integrity, an individual that is considered honorable. You go find a, a, a person that exudes leadership to right the scandalous ship. And that is exactly what the Houston Astros did when they hired Dusty Baker to be their manager. Dusty Baker is a black man. He's a former player, having won a World Series as a player, a gold glove winner as a player. He had multiple stops as a manager. He was a three-time manager of the year. I remember he was with the San Francisco Giants for a long time, the Washington Nationals. They went and got a man whose integrity has never been questioned, an honorable man, and they tried to hitch their wagon to him. Hey, Dusty, please help us right this ship. We need you. We're being drugged through the mud. What type of contract do you think they gave Dusty Baker? <laughs> they gave him a two-year deal with a team option for the second year. So essentially... Your only guaranteed year is the first year. You got a one-year guarantee, and we'll see how you do, and we'll decide if we want you back for the second year. A one-year deal. This team is down in the dumps, and they got the nerve to give that man a one-year deal. But again, Dusty's a baseball man. He did the job. And once they saw the job Dusty was doing, they picked up that second-year option. That first year when the organization was in flux, Dusty led them to the playoffs. The very second year, Dusty had them in the World Series. So when the organization only wanted to give him a one-year deal because they wanted to, like, extract all his value and use his honor and his integrity and attach their brand with him and then maybe discard him after that first year, he did too good of a job, and they couldn't get rid of him. 
So they picked up that second-year option. And that second year, Dusty had them in the World Series. What do you think the Astros did after that second year? <laughs> they gave them just another one-year deal. So again, Dusty being the baseball man, being the man of integrity, he did the job. And here we are, present day, 2022, Dusty's third year. He has his team going into the World Series for the second time in two years, for the second time in, in, uh, for, for, for two out of the three times that he's been at the helm of the Astros. What's Dusty's contract situation for next year? He doesn't have one. He's in limbo. His future's not been secured. He hasn't been rewarded. This week in white supremacy. But but that's not even the uh, uh, the, 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 the part I want to bring home. The man Dusty Baker replaced, the disgraced manager that presided over a team that was cheating, his name is A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch got suspended for one year. Suspended from baseball. Baseball said, we don't want to see you anywhere around here. He got suspended from baseball for one year. The minute his suspension was up, the Detroit Tigers hired him. Guess how long his contract was for? Not one, not two, not three. Not four, but five guaranteed years. The audacity. So A.J. Hinch, the disgraced manager who he said he didn't cheat, but he said he couldn't stop the players from cheating. Well, shit, how much of a leader are you? He was sent away from baseball for one year, and the minute he was eligible to be back, the 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 system rewarded him with a five-year contract that's going to take him into 2025. Meanwhile, Dusty Baker, a man of integrity, an honorable man, a man that is doing the job, that has his Houston Astros in the World Series back-to-back -back years, that has led the Houston Astros to the World Series two out of three years that he has coached, he's in limbo. This week in white supremacy. It's rewarding the people it's supposed to reward, and it's keeping the people it's supposed to keep down under the system's thumb. The audacity, son. The kicker for me is learning that A.J. Hinch had a five-year deal. <laughs> but y'all don't hear me, though. Yo, WBH Radio, I'm your host, William Holly. We out. <laughs>